Hey there, this is Jason Stowell from the Fitness Business Podcast. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories Itself with my friend, Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. What's up, everybody? Before we get started, imagine yourself having a team of virtual professionals helping you get massive amounts of work done from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, editing videos, creating social media and content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. It sounds ridiculous, but it is so true. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your productivity skyrockets while performing tasks and roles you simply don't want to do or simply don't have the time or skills to do. VAs for Gyms offers a wide range of services that will help you run your business and save money. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-4-Gyms.com to find out more. And now on to our guest. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to share your story. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be honest. I uh, We had a chat and uh, it you've been in the fitness industry for many years. And I think that's uh, definitely a big part of your story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Uh, so started back in 1996. Um, actually started right out of high school as a janitor. Um, graduate high school, I weighed 125 pounds. I was a skinny little kid. And so I also was a broke skinny little kid. So I wanted to find a, a gym I could work out with. So I thought, oh, this will knock two birds down with one stone. So got a job. And one of the perks of that job was you also got free personal training. So I had two personal trainers I, I worked with that kind of helped me put on 50 pounds of muscle in about a year. Wow. And uh, I just fell in love with the industry. So slowly worked my way up because being a janitor, as anyone that's your listeners can tell you, is not the most prestigious work <laughs> in, the, in the club. Uh, so lifeguard, receptionist, membership sales, the whole thing. And, and uh, now I work, uh, work on the nonprofit. So I spent about 18 years on the for-profit side. Um, the last eight to nine on the nonprofit side. Um, and it's just been an unbelievably rewarding career. Yes. You've been in basically in the health and fitness industry since day one. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much the only career I've ever had. That's right. So did you go to school for like post, you know, high school for any of this or just boots to the ground and learning as you go? Yeah. Uh, I like to tell everyone, I kind of figured out what to do by screwing everything up at least once. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of, you know, failing forward, if you will. Right. Um, I was fortunate to have a really great mentor, a, a number of mentors, but the very first one was a gentleman named Mike. He was the general manager of that first club I worked at. And he really just kind of built me, uh, built me professionally as a career that really helped as a launch pad for what I was able to achieve later on. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I, I, want to just dive right into your story. And I, I want you to just take us back to that, that uh, progression from 
you know, janitor all the way through uh, to where you are now, because I think there's a lot to learn and a lot that people will relate with in there. Thanks. Take us back. Go for it, man. You got so uh, 18 year old kids, skinny, skinny little twerp guy trying to, you know, work out, get bigger muscles so I can, you know, uh, just feel more confident in general. And so luckily uh, I, I worked hard. I went on to get my ACE certification back in 2001. Although back then, like, you know, I was a personal trainer around 1998, but, you know, certifications aren't, you know, you should have had them, but, you know, some of us just flew by that. Um, what I really wanted to do, though, is I really enjoyed people. Like, I'm just, I'm just passionate about what motivates people to action or inaction, if you will. And so through personal training, I got a lot of sense of what I had to be as a professional to motivate them to bring change in their life. And one of the things that I kind of noticed was that on the sales side of that, you also got a pretty great income if you're able to, to you know, not only get them to make positive changes in life, but sell them positive changes in life. Mm-hmm. So I had this great, great mentor I shared earlier uh, named Mike. And so I worked at that first club for 10 years. And I, I'm joking you not, for 10 years, every time... I missed a sale, whether it was a membership tour or a personal training contract. He called me in the office the next day and we'd sit there and we'd go through the tour form and say, all right, Jason, you, you closed three out of seven people today. So what, uh, what did you do on this one? And then I would say, you know, the things like, oh, they were, they're thinking about moving into town or um, they're getting married, yada, yada. And, and he would call me like, well, is that how you were sitting, Jason? Is that how you were? Is that how you phrased the question? Like, was your shirt untucked like this? So I basically got this 10-year boot camp PhD in how to sell memberships and, and personal training contracts. So at some point, I wanted to move on with my career. I didn't want to just be a sales guy or a personal trainer. I wanted to move up into management. And he was still a rather young gentleman himself, and I knew he wasn't going anywhere. So I made the transition to another uh, large franchise gym and immediately shot up the ranks as one of the top sales guys in the, in, in the whole uh, business. And I was taken aback. I actually didn't realize at the time all the little intricacies of, of the, the nuanced sales approach that I took had compounded into this like sales machine, if you will, right? It was just taken for granted. So from there, I actually went on to the largest chain in the country, the, long, the largest for-profit. And again, same thing. I was lucky. I, uh, I shot up quickly to, to one of the top in the, in the country. And uh, my claim to fame that I tell everyone, and I keep throwing out there, but always refuted yet, I believe I've I've sold more memberships and personal training agreements than anybody ever. I, I am just about 20,000 deals sold at this point, personally, not just my team, myself. Um, Cause I take a lot of pride in leading by example and um, you know, uh, being part of the solution, not just sitting behind a desk and, and doing that. So I still do lots of sales today. So nevertheless, this kind of takes me to the second part of my journey here. This was all the for-profit side. So at some point, it, I transitioned to get really into the income side of things and how do I get higher commissions and, and what are all the things I need to do and say to kind of, kind of really influence, influence change in life. And so I got pretty aggressive with closing deals. You know, you, you heard about these, these slick sales guys. Well, I was, I was as bad as the worst of them, you know? Um, so I call it my Jerry Maguire moment. And so uh, anyone who's seen the movie can relate to this. So I had this, it was at the peak of my career. Uh, my commissions were, I was being at six figures of commissions alone. And this young lady came in. She wasn't that young. She was probably in her late 40s. But she was morbidly obese and she had a breathing apparatus. 
And during my tour, my needs analysis, I sat down with her and I, and I asked her, you know, what brings her in today? And she revealed all the things. And uh, one of the things she shared was her physician had told her if she didn't start moving, she would be dead within 18 months. And so I showed her around the facility. It took a while, obviously, because she, she was limited in her, her movement. We got back to the desk and she thanked me for my time and said she was going to go check with another facility. And I, to my great regret, uh, I leaned across the desk where I said, Tara, if I don't sign you up today, you'll be dead in a year. I can't let you leave. And she broke down. She broke down in tears and she signed her membership. And, and I did this and everyone around me is giving me high fives. And I went home and I, I'm not joking. You know, I broke down, man. I just said, oh my gosh, what am I, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, I know she needed a fitness, but my approach to, to trying to help people was no longer helpful. It was, it was selfish and terrible. And I, and I uh, left two weeks later, I just walked out, you know, at the top of my career there, I just locked out. So I decided I had to take some time to, to center myself, if you will. And so I opted to go work for a Jewish community center in Pittsburgh, um, a nonprofit. And at the time, my, my uh, limitless arrogance thought that you know, I'll go help these poor nonprofit folks be better at what they do and, and build sales. And then I'll go back on to make my millions and my fortunes on the for-profit side, you know, after that. Well, what I didn't realize at the time was that not that my cup was already full, right? Your, your cup of knowledge, but it just had a really small cup. I knew a lot about a little. And when I got there, I was just blown away. All these professionals that like, truly cared. And they cared so much. They didn't mind losing money at what they did. You know, they wanted to help people so much that they put forward their best efforts, uh, regardless of, of the economics of it. And I was just taken aback by, by that. I always thought that you had to be motivated by getting a bigger house, getting a nicer car, getting all these things. I didn't realize that there's an and there. And so... One more story I'll share there. So I got there after the first two years of working for this nonprofit. I got called up to the CEO's office, a, a gentleman who still inspires me today named Brian. And he said, Jason, I need you to stop selling personal training. I said, what? what are you talking about? And he said, I got a complaint that you have multiple members who have bought annual personal training contracts that have been waiting for trainers for you know a month, two months, three months. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, we don't have enough trainers to service all the agreements I'm, I'm selling. This is a good problem to have. And he said, well, we can't deliver it, Jason. And you need to stop making promises. And it blew me away. I, I, my, my whole career was sell, 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 sell. Then all of a sudden it was like, slow down, Jason. Make sure you're, you're delivering on what you're promising. And it, it really was a moment for me where I realized I truly wanted to help the helpers. And so now um, I work with the nonprofits. I consult with nonprofits around North America. And it's been the most rewarding part of my professional life. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> um, with, with selling, do you feel like you, you talk about your mentor early on and how they taught you? Do you feel that the, the approach was wrong or, 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 uh, or was it? The, pro, the overall approach wrong or were, were did you take it too far? Like, or is it one and the same? Yes, that's a really great question. So the answer is it's infinitely unique based on who's sitting in front of you, right? You know, for example, if I'm your boss and you're a salesman, I have certain 
metrics and certain goals that I want you to get. You know, you need to close 70% of your deals. You need to sign up 12 people tomorrow, right? I know that. You know that. But the person sitting across from you is a living, breathing human being that just wants to better their lives in some way, right? They're going to expose themselves to you and say, I need to lose 15 pounds because I just don't feel good about myself. And we owe it to them to, to listen, sincerely listen, and only recommend options that will help them get there and create these win-win scenarios. If I truly don't believe I can help them, I shouldn't be just trying to close them into a package because I have my manager sitting behind me. And that's one of the reasons when I manage you, I say, you know, don't, don't focus on closing percentages because closing percentages incentivize all the wrong behaviors. You know, you want to get in front of more people. You want to help more people, get more exposure. That's, that's the way that you're going to increase your, your uh, conversions. Um, but don't hammer people on closing. It's a, it's a bad idea. Now, now my approach personally, again, I, I, I kind of divide my, my process into quadrants. And the very first, I'll use personal training, for example. You know, in the first 15 minutes, all I'm doing is listening. I mean, sincerely listening because people want to, people, people are in front of you for a reason. They're, they're not just there to, to kill time. They, they truly want to improve something um, in their lives. So then after listening to them, I talked to them a little bit about my, my process and I kind, of, I kind of demonstrate how I coach, how I'm going to coach them through these things and that all know, although they're infinitely unique, there's very similar stories of, of success. You know, you want to lose 50 pounds. Okay, great news. There's, there's 15 clients I've helped over the last three years to do that. Mm-hmm. And that'll generally take them on the four 15 minutes and I'll kind of work them out through a basic, you know, kind of core st- st- stability piece. And I'll bring it back to the office. And then again, I'll go through the, the price presentation that is designed specifically to create those win-win scenarios. You know, I, I want them to, to, I want to attract their business. That's the only way I can stay as a professional in fitness. But at the same time, I want them to sign up for a $3,000 personal training package and be hopeful that tomorrow is going to be better for them. That's mm-hmm. the solution. So you, I, I think I would summarize this as you went from volume to value. Oh, it's fantastic. That's a great way of saying it. Yes, sir. Yeah. So do you still like in your, what you do now, and we'll get more into this later, but what you do now, what exactly do you do with nonprofits? Are you still working in that sales role? Yes. So okay. I, um, I have a, a full-time job. I work as the, the senior manager of business development at the JCC in Greater Buffalo. Um, I also do some um, nonprofit work consulting uh, through JCCs of North America. I'm also chairing the upcoming Nonprofits Executive Summit down in Nashville by Club Industry, and that's medical wellness, parks and rec, YMCAs, JCCs. My work with, with the field largely is really what I call margin uh, versus mission, but really it's margin and mission. And I try to teach them that their competitive advantages are when they can weave the mission into the margin, right? You know, we can generate programs that are both forward-facing and bettering our community, and at the same time bringing in an ROI that we can use towards mission-specific pieces that might not bring revenue. For example, Special Olympics. You know, Special Olympics doesn't make a dime, but it's squarely in why I need to exist. Um, and so I help the nonprofits just build a book of business to allow them to do more in their community. Hmm. That's... Uh... That's really cool. So let's, let's talk about, and hopefully you're comfortable with this, but let's talk about these big gyms that you no longer work in these, these 
franchises and clubs that really do focus on value volume on volume. What do you think? Do you think there needs to be change or uh, are you involved enough to see how the sales still go there? What are your thoughts in that realm right now? I think it's an and scenario. I think, um, I think, you know, you, you talk about sales as a funnel, right? right? I like to refer to it kind of a funnel and, a, and more of an hourglass, right? So you have your, your marketing, you have your conversions, your, you know, your, your appointments, your calls, your shows, your, your closes, right? But then it's not really a funnel. It's an hourglass, right? And now you got to start delivering on your promises, get them engaged. Retention doesn't start eight months out. Retention starts the very moment they signed up, right? Get them in connected, moving, things like that. So um, I, I think that's the most important part is to understand that, you know, we have to deliver on our promises. What I found on the for-profit side is they they are they're the best at what they do. I mean, they they have this the shiniest equipment, they have the best spaces. I mean, they're the leaders in there. Some of the most inspiring leaders I know still work on the commercial side of things. I think the challenge is, is that you know you you incentivize incentivize the behavior that you want. And so you just have to be careful with your bonus and your commission structures so that you're not just incentivizing close the maximum amount of deals. You want to incentivize you know, let's get them in here, but let's get them moving. Let's get them engaged. Let's get them connected. Right. And so if they would just broaden the scope of what, what is commissionable work, you'll incentivize a change in behavior that I think would be win-win for everybody. So I've been, um, I've run some sales departments as well as customer service departments. I was in a unique position for a service company where I um, managed an inside sales and I managed all of the customer service and customer experience. And I saw a massive gap from making the sale to delivering on the promise. And one of the thoughts I've had, and I'm sure this isn't re revolutionary in any way, is that we've got to re reduce that gap or get rid of that gap where, like, does that mean paying recurring revenue or recurring um, for the salesperson who will also maintain a relationship and keep that person in? Like, what does that look like? Have you thought through some of those things before? So one of um so everyone has a sales director or sales manager on their team, right? One of the the positions I always ask for advocate for also is to have a membership engagement officer. And their whole job is really, okay, we sold 10 membership yesterday. We told John Doe we were going to get them connected with Patty from Group X. We told Jane Doe we we're going to get them hooked up with swim lessons at this. And their whole job really is to make sure that we, A, delivered on, on our promises, that we get them connected, and to really monitor uh, swipes and behaviors in the first 45 days. Because we know that if they stop showing up uh, in the very beginning, they're likely not coming back. You, you almost know perfectly that they're not retaining, right? And so they'll make warm contacts two to three times in the first 45 days, um, just to make sure that we, we've done our side of, of the, the deal, right? So uh, again, I have a sales director, I like to have a, a membership engagement officer, and then I also have like a, a membership um, uh, in marketing servicing person really, to make sure that our messages are translating, right? You know, if we put out 200,000 impressions, but only got three memberships out of that deal, well, something fell off somewhere, right? So in, in any career you have generalists, specialists, experts, and then celebrities, right? And so when you really want to elevate your business and elevate the, the outcomes, you have to take your staff from generalists and turn them into least specialists, right? And so again, if I have four full-time people on my membership uh, team, I need them all to be able to sell and articulate the value of the JCC, but I also want them to specialize on, are they 
converting our marketing efforts? Are they making sure that the people that are here are coming and happy? You know, are they focusing on retaining those who have fallen off and how are we working to bring them back in? You know, one of the worst things I hate is when I see we miss you emails. That, that, that builds no value for your facility. All that's doing is reminding them that they're wasting their money not showing up at your facility, right? That's not a good retention effort. As a matter of fact, I would say that's hurting your effort, right? Hmm. And so being thoughtful and intentional in your approaches at every stage of the, the relationship will bear uh, unbelievable uh, return for both you and for the member. Yeah, I think this is translatable into way more than just health and fitness facilities. I mean, I think this goes out to many, many, um, businesses, but how do you keep, because basically it sounds to me like what you ended up doing, you were going after the sale so strong and you were so good at closing that you might've been over promising. And then the team was under delivering. So I, um, I, I do this thing called the seven pillars of predictable sales success. And, and what I talk a lot about is, um, in fact, I think it might be the one of the most exhaustive list, but I put a hundred closing techniques that you could utilize to close a deal, right? Um, and to your point, it got more about generating a bigger bonus check and a, more of a, a gener- you know, g- commission check. Um, I started, and I call it the dark arts, right? You know, you got sales, you got negotiations, and then you got manipulation, right? So for example, if I say, you know, don't think of, uh, or here's an even better on a sales pitch. Uh, Scott, thank God you came in today. You need to lose 20 pounds in six months. Thank God we didn't lose a, another day because I don't know if we're going to get you there in time, right? That's a manipulative technique to kind of get you, you know, into this this frame. Um, so, uh, you know, using things like, you know, uh, discounting your, your concerns. Like, Jason, I just don't know if I can afford it. Well, Scott, I don't know if you can afford not to do it. I mean, if you're not going to pay for it up front, then you're going to pay for it in health bills down the line. Maybe there's some truth to that, right? But people aren't speaking that because they believe it. They're speaking that because they want to incentivize the commission check today, right? And so I I was more concerned with creating personal win scenarios for myself, almost like game theory. Every time I sat down before a, a pitch, just like a singer would like warm up their vocals or like Russell Crowe and Glider would grab the dirt, you know, or, or um, you know, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street guy smells money, right? I'd kind of slap myself around and get myself all hyped up because you know, this is my 40,000th pitch. They need to think it's authentic and original and I'd get into character. And all I cared about was creating a win scenario for me. How do I close the deal? This is a game. And it took a lot of maturing and a lot of de-educating, to be honest with you, uh, and and being inspired to understand that, you know, you can do both. There are win-win scenarios where um, maybe they don't need four days a week of personal training, maybe two days of personal training, and then two days a week of large group training is what is in their best interest, not just health-wise, but for their, their, their finances. And I have a social and a, a moral responsibility to do that. Although I know I could close them for a $5,000 personal training contract, I have a moral obligation to not do that. And that's the hardest part. It took me a long time to learn not to close the biggest package that I can just because I could. Yeah, let me play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, well, first, let me preface it with this, with my business and um, some other businesses I've had. I, it's taken me a while, but I would rather uh, tell a prospect no if, there's an, if it's not a good fit. I mean, I've just learned to do that. But how do you incentivize and how do you change the climate 
so that your sales team does that because the sales have always focused around results, which for a business, they've got to focus on results. How do you switch the sales team from, you know, this is your biggest payout to, hey, it's okay to tell somebody you're not a good fit or, you know, the place across town might actually work better for you. So you should have KPIs. There's industry-wide KPIs, right? You know, again, if you get this many tours, you're going to get this many conversions into sales. You're going to sign up this many of them into personal training, right? So everyone budgets. They, they, they budget for a strategic plan, your operational and your capital needs for the, for the year, right? So you just lay out a plan like, okay, I want to go from one location to three locations in 18 months. Let's say this. And then you just build that, that budget out. And then you kind of get a sense for, okay, I'm going to have to sell 100 memberships to a month to make this happen. Well, great, because the funnel works up that way. If I know I need to sell 100 memberships and I'm closing at 50%, I need 200 tours. If I need 200 tours, I need 600 phone calls, website emails, you know, you know, chats, whatever it is, right? And you can funnel it. Now, assuming that you don't live, you know, in, in you know, a small town USA, the conversion should work out. You know, so as long as you're realistic at what you need to do, uh, your cost of acquisition should be pretty predictable. You know, if I give my marketing person, here's here's ten thousand dollars spent on marketing, that ten thousand dollars should convert into at least 100 memberships. And if it's not, that's when you sit down, and you evaluate all the way down. Where did the where did the funnel break down? Where did the message get lost? Where did the conversion? And then you just build that piece back up. Right. It should be very predictable. Even even poor conversion systems over very large numbers will work great. And that's why a lot of some of these some of these clubs actually work out. You know, they don't even have uh, sales departments for the most part half the time. They they just have the the turnover so fast on the frontline young kids. They don't even give them shirts. They give them a name tag, say wear a black shirt, and then just don't screw it up, right? Because they open the gym for themselves. And they figure, well, if I'm not paying commission, I'm not paying bonus, and I'm not actually training them, as long as I can still convert at 5%, I'll be able to make the, the margins I need, right? Um, so again, I, I, would, I would suggest that as long as you know what you're trying to achieve and what's going to cost to achieve it, you can work that backwards to get realistic results. Okay, so uh, I think that's, that's really great. And then releasing some of the pressure for your sales staff and letting them know this is the expectations and Hey, this is okay. If, uh, do you think it would be better, however, for, oh, well, I, I have quite a few uh, acquaintances that own uh, studios and they are high ticket studios and they only sell high ticket. Uh, how did, how does that equate into this system and your, and your beliefs around sales? Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. So let, let me start by saying that, do I think everyone can benefit from health and wellness? Absolutely. You know, how many people have come to my door and I said, 
you should not join as a member. It's probably <laughs> zero over 20,000 people, right? Right. So when I'm saying only sell what is in their best interest, what I mean is don't oversell them, right? Don't sell them, you know, 50 swim lessons for their kid if you know that for 12, it's going to get done, right? Don't sell them four days of personal training a week if, if you can do that in, in two, right? So um, that's how I approach that. Now, you have client profiles, right? There's really four buckets of, of a successful health and wellness model. You've got your, your um, low cost, high, high uh, profit, like your plan of fitness is right where you come in and, and it's super cheap, but you get 20,000 members, right? You've got your mid-market clubs. You've got your, your high profit, high cost clubs in there, um, like your athletic clubs, if you will. And then you have like your, your boutiques, your, your um, CrossFits and things like that. If you're doing your marketing right, you're not going to have somebody who's looking for uh, a high-valued athletic club walking into your uh, spin studio, right? right? So for the most part, if your marketing's on point, your message on point, you're only going to attract to you the opportunities that are appropriate for you to sell, right? And I would argue if you get 20% of people walking in your door, don't know that that membership costs $100 a month, well, then you're probably doing something wrong in the first place or you're, or you're misleading them. Right. So um, don't get me wrong. I, I've worked with many clubs that were charging $120 to $130 a month. Um, it really is a value proposition piece. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all value is perceived value. Right. So you may give John Doe a gym bag and they may think, wow, this is fantastic. And then Jane's going to be like, well, well, hell, I've got three gym bags in the corner. I don't need this gym bag. Right. So how you build value for your, your product, your service, your business is going to vary greatly. Um, depending on where you're, where you're, where you're at. Again, are you, are you just trying to get them in the door and pay the, the, the lowest cost possible? Or are you trying to sign them up for the elite tier $700 a month personal training package? You know, I, I had two personal training clients that paid me exactly $692 a month each at one point for personal training. And I did think that was in their best interest and they could afford it. Right. So don't project on somebody else what, what they can afford, what their value. You know, what I find a lot of our younger sales staff think, well, shit, I can't even afford my own advice. So, you know, I'm going to pitch them on the, the lowest entry package. Like, why don't you start the jumpstart package, right? I've almost, again, I've almost never uh, pitched less than 12 weeks of personal training because I truly believe 12 weeks of personal training is what's most appropriate for people, even if it's one day a week, right? Yeah. So, again, tailor your solution and your message to your ideal client and then modify from there. I had a, a buddy of mine who owned a, it was a CrossFit gym. He's since sold it as another business, but he, he was telling me a story about, you know, his, his, his membership was 125 a month, but he built out three levels of service. His top service was over $2,000 a month. Yeah. And um, he's like, well, you know, I'm not going to sell it, but if people see that everything else is going to look like gravy. Well, he sold it and he sold it. Well, it was, he's like, well, once you have it there and there's value there, there's people who are prepared and primed to do that. And that's what's right for them. Yep. So I think you should always have an elite package because somebody yeah. will want your elite package. Somebody will want the notoriety and the status and, and all this stuff. You know, there was a, there's a, a, a club that I worked for that had a entirely separate locker room called the platinum locker room. And the bonus to the platinum locker room was you got group exercise included, but you also got, um, limited access to only 18 years or older, right? So they had youth and family pieces. And a lot of people just didn't want to be next to little kids when they're changing right. and doing all this thing, right? We made almost a million dollars a year 
and elevated membership costs just to use the exclusive locker room, a million dollars in revenue, right? So again, to your point, you can, if you have a powerful enough message with clear and outstanding value, it's pretty easy to convert these things. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting thing. I, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd probably pay for that. Yeah, people yeah. pay the extra $30 a month because again, they, they get exclusivity, they get status. It, it, it appeals to all of the things that we try to appeal to in the sales process. And again, it's helpful that there's not, you know, 15 crying babies in the locker room as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. So what happened in your life personally when you shifted from this high volume sales, arguably the the most PT and membership sold in history by one person? Like how does how does how did it change you as a person? So I still sold personal training and memberships, right? I didn't stop selling. It's not like I had this hard break and I'm like, what I did was I just teased out the manipulative pieces. Uh, I teased out the, I'm going to close this deal at all costs pieces of, of who I was. Um, and what I really did is I took some time to focus on, you know, I told this person I can help them lose 20 pounds. Did I actually help them lose 20 pounds? Or if I'm not the appropriate person to do that, did I get them connected with the person that, that can do these things, right? So I think the biggest change for me really was focusing less on income and more on results, right? Um, you know, another thing I'm proud of is, you know, over the 25 years I've been doing this, you know, I believe it's five of my clients have gone on themselves to change careers and become personal trainers, because I feel like I've been able to make enough of a change. And, and, and you know, people don't want to be sold. People want to be inspired, right? So when you're, you're doing this, when you're trying to help people motivate change in their life, whether it's in membership or personal training, you know, it, the manner in which you conduct yourself is what's going to inspire them to change. Right. And so in personal training, again, I think it's very clearly like if you truly believe what you're saying and you truly believe that you can help and you help, you're, you're just changing lives and money follows that. If you truly believe what you're doing is right, the dollars will show up. Yeah, absolutely. So the, to the business owner, whether they're, they're a car dealership or, uh, um, you know, a gym owner or a restaurant, whatever it is, I guess restaurant doesn't, uh, catering service to the, to that have these salespeople in place and they know because we, of human nature and training and, and background, they know that manipulative sales tactics are taking place. How do you, how do you get rid of that? How do you change the culture or do you, or do you have an answer for that? Well, so first off, you have to inspect what you expect, right? So, I mean, if, if you don't know what your salespeople are saying on your tour, then that's, that's a huge red flag for just the way you run your business in the first place, right? If you don't know, if you haven't given your, your personal trainers, even wide guidelines of mark, you know, to, to operate in, and you're just letting them throw out any fictitious uh, solution, then, then again, I would argue that you're, you're not in control of your business. Your business is running you, if you will, right? Um, all, all, all incentives and behavior is really motivated in one of three ways. It's either economic, social, or moral. You know, you're incentivized to action or inaction by one of those three things, right? So I could do this podcast with my shirt off right now, right? And I can start screaming expletives, but I have a social, moral, I have, you know, disincentive to do that because you probably won't care for that and your listeners won't care for that, right? right. So traditionally what I find is, and again, in the for-profit, they're using financial motivation to incentivize deals, generally closing, 
On the nonprofit, though, they didn't give a lot of commission and the bonuses. The people just happen to be, I shouldn't say happen to be, they're just good hearted, morally obligated to, to, to care and, and, and help you get there, even at the cost of, you know, running the, the department so, so slim on their margins that they couldn't scale it. You know, they couldn't go from three personal trainers on staff to 18 personal trainers on staff because they didn't have enough wiggle room in there. And again, my solution is try to work with them and create the ant. Like, you know, you can charge a fair price for your offering and still deliver exceptional service uh, if you do that. So again, I would look at your incentive structure, right? Uh, this is this is one of my favorite parts to, to, to discuss. Have you ever read the book Love Languages? I don't yeah. know if you've ever read Love Languages, right? It's a, it's a relationship book, but it's a, one of the best management books out there. Right. You know, people feel love or don't feel love in one of five different ways. Right. Sometimes you're going to have plenty of people on your staff that are financially motivated. I had a gentleman named Will who didn't give a crap what I thought about how he did his job. All he cared is that his bonus check cash. Right. Meanwhile, I had another young lady named Emily who just wanted words of affirmation. She would give her best effort for me because she knew that I truly valued what she did. And then some employees want, just, you know, some of your time, take them to lunch once a month. They, you know, not everyone's chasing the incentive of a higher check. Now, one of the love languages is, is physical touch. I, I do, do not touch your employees. I, you know, that's right. not, don't use that. So the four love languages, right? But um, again, look at your staff. Don't just default to, if I give them X dollars for this, will I get more of the desired behavior? And then even look at the desired behavior. You know, I would recommend incentivizing the follow through as well. You know, did mm. they actually show up for the, the three to five weeks that we wanted to? Did we actually get them connected with swim lessons? Right. Don't put the entire bulk of the financial incentive on converting to sales because, again, you get exactly what you you allow for. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good advice. And I think that's good advice for any business that has sales involved, which is almost all businesses. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, see. How are you changing? Like, what is, has, how has your personal mission changed or your personal, uh, you know, your, your big why through this process? I, 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 from working in the nonprofits now, I've, I've really fallen in love with the idea of helping helpers. Like I, I, I've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to, to go throughout North America and just meet with some of the very best practitioners, the most certified people in the world who, if I could give them an, a, a, a megaphone to blast their message out, they'd be that much more successful and they'd help that many more people, right? And that's really what my mission has been doing is really like, let's look at this. How do we do what you do great already? And let's get it out there. Let's market, let's message it. Let's, let's tease out what makes you unique. You know, one of the worst marketing things I see is get your six pack at Joe's gym. Well, when that, when that flyer hits my mailbox, it just raises awareness for every gym in the local area. It doesn't do anything for Joe's gym. Right. Right. So, so you want to market to your specificity, to your exclusivity, to your unique solutions. Um, and so I help them to understand that, you know, we need to create a family of brands, a family of solutions that are unique and exclusive to us. Um, and then, and then look at our pricing model, right? And if you do it right, we can create a strategic plan and you can scale to whatever it is. Maybe your scale is that you want to be able to hire 10 mood trainers. Maybe it's just, you want to create a more robust special Olympics program. Fantastic. Right. Fantastic. You know, you get to chart the course. Uh, and I just love helping those people uh, 
add structure to materialize whatever success it is they're looking to achieve in life. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, let's pivot a little bit and um, talk about you and really what's influenced you and um, what kind of keeps you sharp at this point. So you know a lot about sales and you talked about a mentor early on. What are you doing and have you been doing that really keeps you sharp and and what are you learning and how are you learning? So uh, great question. So I am, I like to think of myself as an autodidact kind of just person where I just, I love to learn for the sake of learning. So when I'm driving to work, I'm listening to audio books. And when I'm working out, I'm actually listening to audio books. Um, I'm always going to like the conferences and listening to the trade shows. And then Ursa does this talks and takes with uh, Brent Dart and Sarah Bill, uh, Blair McKinney. And it's just full of like leading edge information. And so um, again, you, you can't know where to steer the ship if you don't know where you're at. So I'm a big data driven person. And uh, mm. I just love the Les Mills report just came out. Uh, and I'm, I'm like a nerd. I can't wait to read through it and see what what members are doing and how they've changed their behaviors in the almost post pandemic world. Um, I just truly find this stuff fascinating. Yeah, there's a lot to look at in the in the health world and um, around how the pandemic has changed behaviors and then what it what it's doing. What have you seen as a result for clubs since kind of reopening of the of America? So one of the most telling one of the only really important metrics that we've looked at now post mortem to, you know, what facilities survived and or potentially thrived in the pandemic versus the ones that failed went out of business was really your authentic relationships with your members or your clients, right? If you didn't have a relationship prior to the shutdown and then you tried to build it through an email marketing campaign or text message, they had no relationship with you and they were gone. They left. Those of us that did have really strong uh, relationships where where the receptionist knew your name were were the ones that thrived. As a matter of fact, you know another fantastic metric. You know, there's always a segment of your of your again, and I'm a fitness guy of your population that doesn't want to doesn't even want to say hi to, to anyone. They just want to come in the door, they hit the treadmill, and get out. Right. The most telling metric, is, whether they're retained or not, is the relationship with the front desk receptionist, how they're greeted. If they're greeted warmly and they know their name and they're said goodbye to the retention rate is almost triple of those who the receptionist doesn't look up when they come in and out. Right. So I love looking at all those tiny little pieces there to just influence uh, whatever the outcome it is, you know, retention of 80%, um, you know, referrals, whatever we're looking at. So, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. It, and it's, it's true. Those relationships made a huge difference in how people survived um, or businesses survived, excuse me, how they held on to their members. I mean, there's, there's clubs and studios out there who kept people continued paying just because they knew that was what was keeping the doors open. And that says a lot about what you've built. Um, so, uh, who in the last, who are, or maybe even a book has been the most influential for you over the last couple of years? Uh, Another awesome question. So if anyone hasn't read The Power of Moments, I highly, highly recommend you you read that. That that book just it just speaks to, you know, the tiniest little thing in your process could have unbelievable results on the other side of, of, of the relationship, right? Just giving a warm cookie, you know, at the front desk 
you know, and, and, and the impact that that has on somebody, right. The way that you, the way that you greet them. Um, it's a, it's an amazing book for you to understand that, you know, in your tour, if your tour process is a half hour long, not every moment in that half hour has to be magical. As long as at least a few of them are, as long as you have a few wow moments built into your process, that's what people will hold on to grasp onto and want to be a part of. Um, and so it, again, it's just the intentional uh, understanding of building a, a, a thoughtful process. That's yeah, an uh, awesome book. As far as people go, I mean, honestly, there's so many good people in the health and wellness industry right now. You know, prior to the pandemic, we were us versus them, for-profit, non-profit, medical wellness, even, you know, just kill, kill, kill. You know, let's, you know, we succeed by somebody else failing. And one of the things that happened was everything just kind of came together because we're, we're still a relatively small industry. And, you know, again, Ursa with, with their talks and takes and uh, club industry and the fitness business podcast and all these people. And all of a sudden you had you had competitors who who likely sat at, at various panels cooperating to kind of give out data. This is what's working for us and just sharing it so freely where it wasn't about anymore about competing. But how do we how do we survive? How do we sustain a movement that is, is crucial to, you know, uh, bettering our, our children's lives. And it was, it was awesome. I'm truly inspired by, again, the Brent Dardens, the, the Sarah Cooperman's, Bill McBride's, Blair McCaney's. Um, I think they just did terrific work. Kind of pivoted to uh, cutthroat to abundance mindset where everyone was abundantly thinking of how we can build together as opposed to, you know, like yes. kill and eat type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. None of us are as smart as all of us, right? Right. So it's such a great, great pivot. All right. So kind of dive a little bit into your personal life. What is one thing that you do, like a habit or uh, a routine that you do that everybody should, you believe everybody should do? Uh, So two, two things real quick. Uh, One, I believe strongly in having a structure to your morning. Like I I wake up, I listen to a podcast, I write, um, you know, I kind of just meditate, if you will. And I, create a list of all the things I hope to achieve for the day. Right. And I believe every morning just doing the same thing, like no accidents. I have the same breakfast and I just kind of brainwash myself to being successful before I ever get to work. And I highly recommend everyone have structure. There should be no accidents. to you know, how you're going to approach your day. The other thing is I am an avid note taker. I, I have, I'm not joking. You, I have 30 of these filled with notes from the last 20 years. Um, you know, I forget who said it, but you know, the, the strongest memory isn't as powerful as the, the weakest ink, right? Mm-hmm. So how many times in your day have you thought, oh my God, this is my million dollar idea and it's gone a half second later. And I just keep notes at, at, at nauseum. I have uh, everywhere. My wife's pissed about it, but um, <laughs> you know, I circle back constantly. I can go back to, to a convention I went to back in 1998 and I can tell you exactly everything that I learned, all the lessons. But I, I don't look at these just as notes. Like this is my education. This is, this is the PhD I'm trying to achieve yep. in, in helping people better their lives. So yeah. I love that one. I love that one. I used to do the journal thing. I have stacks of them. And then I took about two, two and a half years and I have a digital version that is everything is organized. I can find it. And it's, it's extraordinary, but that, that writing for me, typing, watching the words form on a page does something a little different in your brain, as well as capturing those ideas, man, uh, how many people are like, Oh, I got to remember that. Well, it's yeah. not coming back. You got, you know, it's in there, it's filed in there somewhere, but we need to have it filed somewhere. 
or you can you absorb it differently when you when you actively choose to to retain it like that's a whole different form i totally agree absolutely absolutely okay uh before we get to the last question how can people find you how can they find out more about jason and um, let's see stowell that's how you pronounce your last name yeah how do they or, or why would they um well, yeah that's a great question right you know why do you wake up and why does it matter to me right yeah um i i love connecting with others who uh, again are self-started motivated and they just want to be slightly better versions of themselves every day whether that's personally or professionally uh, again i just seek to be a slightly better every day and so if you're passionate about you know uh, iron you know uh sharpens iron I'd love to connect on that. If you have any questions and you want to ideate the way you do business, again, I'm not going to charge anyone to consult for a phone call or an email. I love talking about this stuff. Like, Jason, this is the message I'm giving out for this solution. What do you think? Fantastic, man. If I could provide any value, I I love that stuff. Um, Yeah, especially in the health and wellness and and anything sales related. Again, I, I, uh, if it doesn't, if it's not obvious, none of this feels like work to me. I love this stuff. I really, truly love this stuff. Um, the best way they can get a hold of me is my email address is, is either on LinkedIn, just Jason Stowell, or um, my email address uh, is Jason at fitnessbusinesspodcast.com. Um, I also work, uh, I have my own quarterly show I put out um, in regards to thinking ahead very specifically on, you know, what are fitness and wellness owners and operators, uh, what should you have on your radar for tomorrow? right? Where should we be making strategic bets with our capital and with our manpower? Yeah. Awesome. And I'll add those to the show notes. So if anybody's wanting to find you, they, they now have a way. Uh, okay. Last question that I'm going to ask, if you could go back to yourself at any time in your life and give yourself that one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, trust your gut as much as you trust the metrics that you get. So, uh, I, uh, like I said, I'm a data-driven guy. I use KPIs, and and I can tell you when the the areas where I ignored my gut, especially like with strategic hires, is the areas where I caused myself a lot more pain than than pleasure, if you will. So um, if you if you can't articulate it, but your gut's telling you something's there, don't ignore it. Listen to it. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Jason, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing us uh, with us your knowledge and um, insight on sales, which I think is phenomenal. Your, your journey's uh, excellent place for other people to learn. And I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. It was awesome. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.